Welcome to Beyond the Pen, the podcast that delves into the untold stories of emerging authors and the literary world. I'm your host, Maccabee Griffin, and each week I'll be shining a spotlight on talented yet undiscovered authors, giving them a platform to share their incredible stories and unique journeys that brought them to the world of writing. In each episode, we'll deep dive into the story behind the story, exploring the inspirations, challenges, and triumphs that have shaped our guests' literary careers, and have some fun along the way. From the initial spark of an idea to the journey of crafting and publishing their books, we'll uncover the secrets that make their stories truly special. But that's not all. Once a month, we'll be joined by an expert from the publishing world who will share invaluable insights and advice for aspiring writers, answering your burning questions, and demystifying the path to success in the literary industry. At Beyond the Pen, my mission is simple, to entertain, educate, and encourage the next generation of great storytellers. So whether you're a writer, an avid reader, or simply someone with a passion for storytelling, Join us as we venture beyond the pen and celebrate the power of the written word. Hello, everybody. We are back. We are here. We are live. And if this is your first time being here, welcome. If you are returning, welcome back. I am Maccabee Griffin, and this is Miss C.R. Rice. Say hello. Hello. We are back again. They can't keep us down. I don't think they would try. We're too delightful. That's true. We, everybody has too much fun when they listen. They would be like, no, we can't do that. We bring the humor to the publishing world in some way, shape, or form. We make it great because of our tangents, our ever-growing titles, our different views on things. And how it still works out, right? We're able to do the whole well-rounded thing. We're not like everybody else where we're like, you're totally right. We're conflicting and it works because you get two different opinions on things. And when we have our guests, we sometimes get three different opinions. Speaking of which, I don't have a title. You haven't given me a title yet. We haven't? No. Host extraordinaire, voice acting supreme leader, Nope, nope, we're going to have to switch that up. We'll, we'll work on it. We'll work on oh, it. Yeah, I almost felt like, um, <laughs> oh my gosh, what, what? I cannot remember the gentleman's name for the life of me, but he's uh, apartments.com. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, the guy that goes through the different things to show you. Exactly. Yeah, That's. I was just like, right when she was going through, I was like, hmm, superior. <laughs> Don't you think it's a little too much? It's Jeff Goldblum now? Yeah, it's it's always been Jeff Goldblum. How is it? Oh, I'm thinking of the the Truvago one. You remember oh. where everybody did the everybody got to go onto the website and literally vote how this man was gonna look for their stuff. Do you remember that? Mm-hmm. Oh, that's when society began to crash. <laughs> well, that's uh, still up for debate on the time frame. Speaking of time frames. We're going to be talking about something that most people don't really think about uh, from an, a reader's point of view, and that is... Young adult novels. When should we stop writing them? Yes. And as a young adult author, I think it's, it comes down to what type of YA you're writing. I do the Realm series. It's the, you know, it's some teenagers... 17, 18, and older. 
I'm not doing the high school setting, except for in denial, there's a little bit of it. So I don't have that normal, typical teenage interactions, right? So, and because it's fantasy, you get to flourish a few things. But what if you're a young adult author that is writing the daily life of a high school student? Mm-hmm. And you're in your 50s, 60s, 70s. Like, are you still relatable at that point, do you think? Or do you think it needs to be, I don't know, switch it and go to college? Like, and do that new age college theme? What do you think, Mac? For me, for me, I think... um... (laughs) Pulling out all the voices. Title's already going to your head. Well, if we're going to be talking about stuff like this, it's just something that we have to figure out. (laughs) But seriously, folks, seriously. Honestly, I think depending on the character and what their situation is. Okay. I know that a lot of young adult books stick around that time frame mm-hmm. because of all the what, the archetypes that, that we're dealing with, mm-hmm. dealing with the certain situations and the conflicts. It, it There's so many weird things that go into it when it comes to those key elements of writing. And speaking of key elements of writing, I want to get your your uh, thoughts on this. What okay. are your five key elements of writing? Okay, so so which way do we want to take this? Do we want to take what are things that I incorporate to my writing? What are the things that are most important, like plot, setting? We've talked about that. I'm a chaos writer. I have no plan for any of my books. Like, I've never even read any of my books. <laughs> like... And I know, but it's one of those weird things. Okay. So go with me on this. Obviously I have read through my parts as I puzzle them together. Right. Right. And I go and I do the chapter before the chapter after current, everything like that to make sure it flows. It is uncomfortable for me to write or to read my book once it's published. Mm -hmm. It seems, first of all, I, I still edit it to this day. Like I still go through and every time I try to read something that I've written, I, I, I dissect it a million different ways. If I read other books, sometimes I do the same thing, but not as much, but it makes me physically uncomfortable to read my own writing. It's like, it's, it's how I imagine like, you know, when actors go and you act in something, right. Or you're, you're a voice actor, right. So you go through and you do that. And then to hear yourself or to watch yourself act as something, I feel like it would be very uncomfortable. Yeah. And it's it's another thing that like I don't know if it's the same with authors, but for actors, one of the major things that we're not supposed to do, or at least you're told, one of the unspoken rules is, don't read reviews. Reviews will kill your confidence in everything yes. that you do. Mm-hmm. And you get them for the craziest things, right? So. I had now before Amazon, if, if anybody listening are, is an author and you have your book on Amazon, you probably understand what's going on right now. Amazon is going through and taking away reviews from authors. Yeah. Specifically the ones that are not published through ADB publishing. Somehow your reviews are flagged and get taken off. So for your book to be recommended to other people, you need at least 25 reviews on your book. I have had my books removed from accidentally, of course, from Amazon four times. 
do you know what happens when that happens? You lose every single review you've had and you start from scratch all over again, which is both a blessing and a curse because I had one review, which is why I started doing my, my novellas is because somebody had said they didn't like Silas and I very much like Silas. I liked him very much. And that is why I wrote him. They did not agree with him. So to change their minds, I wrote Silas's story to get people to like the characters that I like. My husband said it was very manipulative and yes, it was. However, nobody fully appreciated Silas and that needed to happen. So in that way, it was, it was a great review. It was awesome. But the one line that stuck out to me was Silas is a terrible, terrible character. I don't understand how he plays into this book. Yes. Yes. He's literally the person that goes across realms to bring back the, the lost heir to the throne, but didn't understand why it had to be him. So that is what happens when I get reviews. I'm like, oh, this is a great review. But that one line people say, that'll be it. It could be five star. It could be 20 star review, but they'll say that one thing, which I'm sure you get too. like mm -hmm. wonderful review. And then it's like, but it could have been longer. And it, it keeps me up at night. And I'm just like, oh my God, it so could have been. I should have made it longer. Meanwhile, these books are like a hundred thousand words and I'm still just like, they're right. Should have been longer. Damn it. I should have written it longer. And it haunts you. It's terrible. Yes, it is terrible. Silas was a terrible person, but <laughs> Silas was a, but he was not, I, I don't mean it in that way. Character, the character himself. I like Silas. Okay. <laughs> Silas was a good character. Oh, his huh. things that he did were not the best. He made a few choices. A few? There, there were a few. There were a few choices that were uh, questionable. But we always have those redemption arcs, right? That's why authors, that's, it's an entire thing. That's why you have your redemption arc. And now Silas has his own realm. So whoever didn't like him, guess what, guys? He's everywhere. Because that's what I do when I get a negative review. <laughs> well, speaking of negativity, yes. let's let's talk about a lot of the things that go into young adult books and dealing with those negativities mm -hmm. that we all go through. The the ways that people look at us and they could be way off. <laughs> And then all of a sudden we start to think about that ourselves. Mm -hmm. This is the one thing I do like about young adult books is because they are so real in the sense that these are things that every person has gone through. Everybody's dealt with. We've all went, we've mm -hmm. all had that, that whole idea of a coming of age story in our lives. Yes. Some of them are the same in some way, shape, or form. Mm -hmm. Others, not so much. Yes. But we're hitting in a time where young adult books are changing mm -hmm. to present a certain viewpoint. And unfortunately, sometimes they're very on point and they're true. Well, I'm not saying they're not true. The other ones aren't true, but there are certain things that are said that could be left out. Yes. Like, for instance, there are certain things that 
teenagers go through that you shouldn't have to talk about. Because when I think of, we'll go with um, bullying, okay? Mm-hmm. Bullying has been around for generations. We That's all- the beginning of time. <laughs> Cain and Abel, first bullies, obviously. When we look at all these other things that go with it, bullying back in the days when I was growing up, Back in my day, it was really just considered another way of just toughening up, building up that skin. That's how I'm sold. (laughs) No, but it is. It's true. I mean, even when I was in school, it's one of those things where, this is going to sound terrible. Are you ready for this? We're about to get in trouble. I think certain bullying is necessary. Now, let me explain why. I, first of all, it's, you're going to get it no matter where you go. As an adult, you get bullied, whether it's by coworkers, strangers, your bosses, your family member, whoever, bullying is a part of our lives. It's, but it also helps make you the person that you are. I'm not saying you should go out and, and be terrible to people. I'm not. But as soon as they started making it so that people cannot express themselves isn't that what what they used to call it it's it's different ways of self-expression like oh the little boy on the playground pulled her pigtails he likes it's different ways of learning communication right when you take out a a kid's ability and you shield them from the actual world you are inhibiting their growth that's why there are so many people that have depression and anxiety it's because you didn't get that this is terrible but you didn't get your ass handed to you in school. You didn't get picked on. You didn't get any of those things. And I'm not saying we should let some of the craziness that goes on go on, but you have to expose people to the terrible parts of the world because as much as we don't want to admit it, the world sucks. There are certain times where situations sucks. Life is hard. And we're taking that exposure away from kids and it's turning them into terrible people. And they get entitled and they're rude and they aren't able to take even the smallest jabs. And it's making us kind of wussy. That is true. That is very true. And here's the, the other difference that I've seen again in my old age um, of 43 years old. I'm so old. I know I'm so ancient <laughs> is the fact that we got it from both points. We got it from peers. We got it from our siblings. That's why sibling rivalry is such a thing. And it always will be. I don't care who you are. There's at least some point of sibling rivalry. Some of it is healthy. Yeah, some of it is healthy. I, I will definitely admit that. So other points are like, dude, you're just being a d- stop. But we also had it from our parents as well. Now, here's the difference. Many people nowadays see that as just being abused the problem is when you take a stance on that and you try to change the definition of abuse mental physical and what trauma is mental physical then you start to change the whole overall feel of how discipline is considered either being taught hey you don't do this okay bam you're gonna get a a whooping okay 
or is it oh my gosh i got beat so badly from my my parents they used the belt they used the paddle they used their hands they used the, the switch they used all the things that are around me and i just got no 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 that was the point of, exactly hey, you get hurt you're not going to do it again there there's one joke a long time ago was that when a child is playing with those TVs back in the day, and for those who are not my age, we had TVs that were not, you know, 10 pounds. We had these big old honking things that <laughs> took up a whole freaking wall some days that weighed you couldn't 100. Move it. No, you couldn't. You could <laughs> not move that thing. It weighed like 100, 200 pounds. It sucked. Mm-hmm. But our families would put them on TV stands that were made to last forever, not something from, we won't put Ikea. that. <laughs> I was trying not to use that one, but yes. I love Ikea. Well, yeah, it's cheap. Absolutely. Well, because, so every, I know everybody hates the fact that everything comes in a thousand pieces, right? Puzzles yeah. are one of my favorite pastimes. I love putting stuff together. It is my favorite thing in the entire world. Anytime we go and get stuff, you know, Corey's always like, oh my God, that's going to be so many pieces. I'm like, it's okay. I got this. And like, I go through and it's so much, it's one of my favorite things to do. It's why I'm kind of sad that like we, we bought a house because I'm just like, we're never going to move again, which means I'm never going to get be able to put stuff together. Everything that we have is so solid now because that's one of the things you do when you, when you buy a house, right? You go and you get the stuff that's going to last forever. Mm-hmm. Very sad. You know, going with what you said, it's YA books have come up like that, right? Yeah. So beforehand, it was all about the the dealing with the, now I will say, those old school books that you read about how school was. Mm-hmm. I would love to go to school in the 80s. Just from like the, I mean, okay, maybe I wouldn't have, I don't know, but just from reading like the YA books that take place there and they talk about all this stuff or even seeing the, the young adult shows like that, that you watch. And it's like, they take place in the eighties or they have that eighties theme. And like, you guys had like school dances all the time. You did all of these fairs, all of this amazing stuff. And you read about it. And I'm just like, my school life wasn't like that. <laughs> like maybe that's completely unrealistic and that's not how it actually was then. Um, There is some truth to it. Yes. We did have a lot of, dances we did have a lot of we didn't have as many fairs per se we had now are you talking like school fairs are you talking about fair yes like both they have like all the it's it's the whole you know when they do over in in japan and stuff like that they do the the school festival right every year they do a school festival it's this giant thing and i'm always like dang i want to go to school in japan they have so much fun. They work so hard, but they do all of those things. And I'm like, I remember being a kid and reading about all of these old school, you know, novels and stuff like that. And I was just like, is this what it's going to be like when I get to high school? It was not. Let me let me give you a little bit of perspective, because it does go into play with what our next guest is going to be talking about and mm-hmm. the viewpoints of today's world comparative to back then. High school life is one of the biggest tropes that are used in young adult life because again it's something that teenagers go through i.e 
was it 17th summer or something like that yes uh yeah 17th summer by uh, maureen daly uh this was the first uh ya novel ever written and it was published in 1942 by a teenager for teenagers about teenagers and then, of course, Outsiders came out in the 70s, and that's when people were like, okay, this is a thing now. We can't, we've yeah. got a new audience. In the 80s, it, we, we still had a lot of things going on. Uh, not much, not so much as gender equality, because that was late 60s, early 70s. That, that hit with women coming into power. I don't even say power. Women Getting getting equal rights. rights. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Women coming into power and taking over the world and changing everything. (laughs) Dang it, that woman style thinking, my God, what's going on in this world? (laughs) Why not just make a horrific thing? Yeah, let's just cut it off right here, cancel the show. We're racking them up. We're doing awesome this time. We're trying so hard for the hate mail. We're trying to do that cancel thing. Not yeah. intentionally, of course, but just it just slips out. It does. It does. Those viewpoints, you know, that opinion about real life. Yeah. No, but as someone who grew up in the 80s, uh, a teenager by the 90s, that's where a lot of societal views on teenage life was changing. Uh, mm-hmm. There were even in TV. Uh, I was watching earlier today. Uh, I was just going through YouTube, and then all of a sudden I saw... Uh, the thing about Blossom Reunion that happened a couple of years back. The 80s TV show? Technically, it was 1990, but yeah. Wow, I didn't know they did that. Okay, continue. One of the things that the cast brought up was that it was a different viewpoint on the nuclear family. And the fact that it was also from a young teenage girl's viewpoint of life. And not from a male point of view. Because during that time, prior to that, a majority of these shows were based around a mom, dad, brother, sister. That was the family. That is true. And most of the time, it was from the brother's point of view, the son's point of view of life. Because, again, you had a lot of men writing about this stuff. But in this case, it was a single father dealing with two teenage boys and a teenage girl with her friend and all the little things coming for her life but it was also from her point of view okay so do you think this is this is one thing that bothers me sometimes Mm -hmm. as a man when you read something that is told from a male perspective but is written by a woman how many errors do you find in thinking there's a lot of them. I can't give you a specific number, but there are there are points of view that don't mix. You're right. And that's why when we're talking about character development, character, uh, just the whole thought process about the plot, the story, and everything else, these are key points that need to be understood when you're writing your book. If you're talking about writing a book about a young woman going through something make sure you were a young woman at that time don't be to people or like i've read so many of the books where 
you go through and a man has written something from a woman's perspective, which is why I was wondering if it's, it's the same with men. I assumed it was because I don't know what guys do. Like, I mean, I'm, obviously I know, but like, I don't know the thought process, but you'll read something and I'm like, oh yeah, a guy definitely wrote this. Yeah. Because, especially when you go through some of the, uh, Danny had sent me a book and it was one of those romantic. She's like, you have got to read this, just this passage. It was for, uh, we were choosing something for the pop-up bookshop and we're going through and we went and I won't say the author's name or anything, but it was so unrealistic. Mm -hmm. I'm like, this is clearly something that like guys want because I don't know a single girl that is going to run down the street after seeing somebody because he briefly looked at her. No, honey, that is not what women are going to do. That, that You are not freaking Henry Cavill. You're, you know, and even then you wouldn't, that's assault. Like you don't do that. Yeah, but sometimes that's... it's just so unrealistic and it's, I think that's one of the reasons why I think I expected so much reading those YA novels and going into high school that I was just like, no, this sucks. Like, this is, this is terrible. This is nothing like what I read. This is not what I was promised. This is, there's no epic great adventure. There's, there's nothing. Yeah, no, there, there's none of that. And and it's true. Again, during the eighties, it was a little bit different. We weren't dealing with sexuality at that time. We were dealing with race at that time. So even, well, let me state that again. Majority of things in society was based around race and not sexuality. The only major things through sexuality during the eighties was all around AIDS and how it was destroying the homosexual community, i.e. men. And then when it started to blend into donating blood and having transfusions and that whole spill, then it started like, oh, oh, this is not just a, you know, a, a gay community issue. This is a human issue. Because now we have people that are playing this and that and all this. And then, of course, you had the whole whole con- the con- church condemning all this stuff. And it's like, oh, this is this and that. It's like, oh, God, please stop. Yeah, I mean, I think that's one of the things that, you know, books are supposed to be an escape, right? Yes. So, or at least that's what I do. That When I read, I read it because I want to escape from whatever I'm going on, whether it's a deadline that I refuse to acknowledge or it's sometimes you just don't feel like doing anything. So you want, you want to go into a different world. I think sometimes people push their, their agendas into books without realizing, or I hope they don't realize it sometimes. But, and it almost takes away the majesty of, of reading. Yeah. I don't want to read a book about people getting brutally bullied. And then what is, oh my God, what is that freaking genre? Here we go again with genres. The bully to lover genre? Guys, what the heck is going on? Oh, Mac, I'm going to send you some books. It's a whole genre built around how a guy starts bullying a girl viciously not even like, oh, I'm going to I'm going to push you to the side or I'm not going to talk to you. It is vicious rumor spreading, vandalism, like violence, all this crazy stuff. And somehow the girl falls in love with the boy. Be realistic, guys. That's not happening. I am more likely to kill you if you do those things to me than I am to fall in love with you. 
Here's the thing with that, though. And I think that's interesting that you bring that up, too, because when you're looking at bullying, when you're looking at teasing, because, again, teasing was teasing. That was it. There was yes. it was teasing is different un unless you were talking about going in, kicking somebody's butt or making their life a living hell. Yes, that's bullying. OK, mm -hmm. that's a whole different ball game of no, we don't do that. Teasing, on the other hand, is everybody had a nickname and it, sometimes they weren't good ones. I had one in the military and I will refuse to put it out there what it is because oh, I, I, I will put it out. OK, so in the military, you get the most ridiculous name. One of our sergeants mm -hmm. was his last name was Ball. So his name was Balls Deep. Um, yeah, uh, we had a gentleman who had, um, I can't remember what the skin uh, disorder is, but when you have a different color skin, you look yeah. like you have patches. His nickname was Patches. Okay. I don't know why mine came out like this, but oh, mine was Twink. And I think the main reason why was because of the fact that I was a theater guy. I loved the theater. I loved music like that. So okay. in their mind. I'm assuming they caught you eating a Twinkie or something. Like that's no. what I thought was going to be something fun. No, yeah, you would think that. No, they just wanted to be, they just wanted to call me that. Which when you look up the definition of Twink, it's not exactly the best one you can get. So, and I still to this day, every once in a while, they'll come out to me and say, hey, Twink, it's nice to see that you're doing so good or something like that. I was like, you bastards, I hate you. I thought I escaped this. Yeah. It's not a, no, it's never an escape. But that's what happens. Like, it, it, that was teasing. It wasn't bullying. Yeah, it yes. wasn't bullying. So when I was growing up, everybody had a different nickname. Uh, there's, there is a older gentleman, I can't remember this comedian's name, but he was talking about when he was growing up that everybody had a just had a nickname like one one guy's name was aim and the reason being is because he lost an eye because of a bb gun or something like that so it looked like he was aiming all the time I like uh, they had he had a guy that lost his finger so they called him uh uh instead of having 10 fingers, they're like nine fingers, something like that, or index. I think it was uh, index or it was one of the figures. And that's what his name was. Right. It has a whole concept of, you know, a big guy being called tiny and a little guy being called big something. Yeah. It, that's teasing, but it's also the way that the life was because it mm -hmm. built you up. It made you grow, grow thick skin. So one of the things when I was going but talking about the TVs and everything is, is the joke was, let them pull it down in the head. They'll learn not to do it again. Oh, he wants to put a, a penny in the in the light socket. Let him do it. He'll get shocked. He'll learn not to do it again. He won't do it again. Exactly. Yes. Yes. I remember that. My mom used to say that all the time. Oh, great. Childhood trauma. <laughs> so you go through. But I wonder if that's what the issues are with some YA books right? is we're creating now granted it's fiction. It's not real guys. Please keep that in mind. And people devise their own metaphors every time you read something or get their own ideas. 
but things like romanticizing bullying, I'm wondering if we're going too far as authors in the YA community. I wonder if creating unrealistic situations in a high school setting is taking it too far. Mm-hmm. And that's coming, like, I do, I, I love YA. It's one of my favorite genres. I write in it. I I created a fantasy world, so I didn't have to, literally did not want to, I hated high school so much, I went out of my way to blow the school up in my in my own world because the realm was, no, not like any, nobody was in it. That's not what I'm saying. It was, Mac, you're making this so bad. I am? But they went, the, the shadows came through. Like I modeled the school after mine and I made sure that they just, you know, took out half of the, the building. And then I took my entire world away from it because I hated high school so much. Like it is one of those things that, I'm wondering if we're making mistakes as YA authors. And that's true. And and we have to understand that when we are dealing with young adults, like she said, there's a certain point where we need to stop. Like, it's almost as if we, we've drifted so far away. It's not relatable. And isn't that what it's supposed to be? And that's a thing that when we're looking at young adult uh, novels, the, the generational thing is, is that it's going to change because high school changes for everybody involved. So when you are dealing with things uh, from the 80s, it's not going to transition very well into modern times. So if you are talking about someone that is a teenage guy during the 80s, if you've lived through that, but you try to put that in modern times, it's not going to be the same unless you have a teenager who can explain it to you as you guys have this conversation and like we say with historical fiction, do your research. 